You're on Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM. You're on Behind the Lines and, uh, yeah, you're listening to Scotty this week. That was Dana Lyons with Cows... Uh, no, of, of Cows with Guns fame, but that wasn't Cows with Guns, as you would have noticed. That was My Country, which is a bit of a uh, bit of a blockading song about the, the patriotism of, of Earth Defenders. Good old Dana, he's a good fella. He's got lots of good, funny songs too, so... Not all funny. Um, anyway, anyway, we are joined on the line by Sue McKinnon from the King Lake Friends of the Forests. How are you there, Sue? G'day, Scotty. Yeah, excellent. Good to hear you. Uh, yeah, so tell us a little bit about uh, King Lake. Where are you based there? Yeah, King Lake is just in the northeast of Melbourne. It's um, just the edge of the suburbs, I guess, uh, so the closest. Uh, state forest and uh, one of the closer national parks to the huge population of Melbourne. I guess it's our equivalent of the Blue Ranges, but much, much, much smaller. Um, so, um, yeah, really popular tourist place, um, but unfortunately also um, the state forest is, is subject to logging here. Uh, so King Lake was, became pretty well known in the 2009 fires when um, fires ripped through our area and then went on to Marysville and further west and um, because it's such a, a populated area or um, a forest area so it, it, and, and, and the uh, well the nature of the fire at the time and the um, shock of the intensity and the speed of it um, it killed a lot of people Yeah well that was one of the first really mega sort of blazes wasn't it? I mean the Canberra bushfires back in 2001 and then the, the ones in the, around that time wasn't it? Yeah, it's like the first indication of the change in the fire regime in Australia, I guess, um, you know, probably as a uh, response to climate change, um, our, our fires are, are very different to what they used to be. Yeah, I think it was after those fires that they changed the uh, the fire danger rating and created a whole new category called catastrophic, is that right? That's right, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's definitely a sign of the times, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I guess um, we, we've had these massive fires recently. Has Have they affected the King Lake area at all? Well, no. These massive fires, King Lake was spared this, this time because we are a long way away from where the fires occurred. The fires occurred to the far east of the state and... Um, it, you know, burnt 1.5 million hectares there. They were a very large part of the east of the state, but we are sort of more towards the centre of the state here in King Lake. Our focus here has always been to... Um, our focus here now in, in King Lake is to protect the forest that hasn't been burnt, um, but also keeping in mind that we want to protect the forest in the east that has been burnt as well. And um, it, I think all the forest protectors here in Victoria and as many groups uh, work pretty much together. Um, and, um, you know, we're all, all concerned about um, each other's areas of forest. Yeah. yeah. So having gone through that massive fire a decade or more ago, how, how did you see the, the burnt bush coming back? It obviously wasn't all dead, was it? Well, uh, that, that's, I'll just tell you a, a story about just a small part of that forest. It's an area that I often go 
horse riding in, I've always ridden in there, this area, and, and I just love this area of King Lake. I uh, regularly go up there. Uh, that was completely blackened in the fires, and um, people just didn't go there for a while because it was quite dangerous after fires. Uh, it's come back beautifully. This little patch that I went to, um, it was burnt late at night, so it, it has recovered. The trees, though, of mesmate and um, various other eucalypt species, not mountain ash species that it doesn't recover so well after fires. But these trees just came back, and you, you'd hardly know it now. You can still see the signs of the fires with the, the burn marks up the trunks, but the forest now, 10 years later, is absolutely sensational. And and in some areas, a lot of areas of King Lake just didn't recover. The, the trees died, and they've had to re, you know the, the forest has had to regrow from the start. But this area still has you know forty meter high trees and shade and moist um, undergrowth, and, um, and 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 it also has greater gliders, which is a threatened species in in both Victoria and New South Wales, um, and. Because this fire in this little patch grew, uh, came late at night, it burnt with a slightly less um, severity heat. So some of the gliders survived, and, and they could they could eat the regrowth in the little valleys. Um, so there were some green leaves for these gliders to eat. Gliders are like koalas; they only eat eucalypt leaves, and um, they, they don't survive they can't eat those leaves quite soon. They don't really have a lot of stores. So this little patch that I often went to and, and ride and still go back to now um, has got a really quite a dense population of, of greater gliders in it now. And, um, and, and this is particularly important uh, now. Um, it was particularly important then because the species became uh, listed as threatened three years ago. And uh, now the, 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 the fires in the East Gippsland have burnt 30%. Um, the, the fires in, in 2019-20 have, have burnt 25-30% of the greater glider's habitat. So every little patch of greater glider habitat that's left in the state uh, just, just really needs to be protected now. And that's been a focus of the King Lake Friends of the Forest um, and, and, and a lot of forest groups um, in Victoria to, to protect the unburnt. Mm-hmm. So something I'll be interested in, you, you've seen a recent um, regeneration of the forest in a number of areas. You said some of the areas were just wiped out pretty much tree-wise and are growing back from the soil up and others like the one you talked about there in that glade have uh, come back from the, the existing trees that, that have survived. Um, how would you compare the, the regeneration after fire from the regeneration that you've seen after logging? Uh, well, look, regeneration after fire is, is patchy. You have some areas that aren't touched. You've got these refuge areas. You've got areas of large big old trees that that do come back um and and you know areas that are burnt late at night or with less intensity that just restore themselves and, and 10 years later you wouldn't know um you've you've also got those areas that come back from um that were completely destroyed and, and that, those areas frankly look a little bit like um uh, kindling uh except for they do have um 
big old trees of dead trees in them so they do have those areas of of uh, hollows they do have those hollows in the area forest after logging the regrowth is essentially kindly it grows very quickly um, and and it's very thirsty so it, the, the the area looks very dry it's very very dense and it's windswept. Um, usually there's very few large trees with hollows in them. Occasionally the loggers will keep a tree or two, uh, but those trees are often killed in, in the post-logging burn or, or knocked over by the winds that sweep through the areas. So uh, essentially logging just converts forest into kindling. Yeah, right. When you say kindling, what uh, what do you mean there? Well, it's narrow, uh, narrow trees. So if, you, if you're making, if you're building up a fire, you don't throw on the big logs. You just throw on the little twigs and um, the, the smaller logs first, and you get the fire going. And the forest that grows after logging is like that. It, it just has a, a mass dense. You can hardly, you can hardly walk through it because um, it's so dense. And as the trees grow, they drop their lower branches. This is a natural process. It, it, restoration of forest you'll, you'll get millions of seedlings germinating and they grow up and compete and the ones that don't make it die and they become dead wood at a very narrow very um fine dead wood mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and this is this is uh you know this is just like a recipe for lighting a fire uh, on top of that you have a lot of the um what what the loggers what the logging industry call Flash left on the forest floor. So when uh, when an area is felled for logging, about half of that area, half of the forest remains on the ground as, as what they call slash. We we call it our ferns and our understory trees and the, the the tops of the trees and the leaves. It's, it's our forest, and half of that remains on the ground. Uh, it, it's then burnt, but usually only about half of what's on the ground is. is consumed in the fire that the post-logging fire so these um, areas uh, the logged areas have a lot of um, uh, forest on the ground uh, what they call slash or waste that's lying all along the ground all around the ground very thick layers of bark and um, leaves very fine kind of I don't like to use the word fuel because it's our forest it, it's very fine um, uh, biomass, mm-hmm. as well as, and then coming up through there is this very dense um, regrowth forest. And uh, about you know five or ten years later, that that regrowth forest starts to naturally thin itself out. So you have the, the dead parts of that regrowth forest all in, intermingled with this um, windswept dry forest. Right. So there's actually a, a, a deliberate burning process after the logging, is there? Yes, yes. So we're experiencing that now. You might be able to smell it from Canberra. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, a lot of the fires, uh, the planned burn fires, are actually logging fires. So um, the area is logged any time of the year. And in the following, the, the waste, the, the forest that remains on the ground, is left until the following autumn. So in the following autumn, the department here, the Department of Environment, 
Forestry Management or Vic Forestry, that's one of those government authorities, come along with either drones or helicopters and drop incendiaries on the area that's been logged. Um, and that area then burns in a very smoky burn. Um, logging areas, when they burn, they're consuming around 75 tonnes of biomass per hectare. Um, so that they're very smoky. Um, whereas when, um, when the Department of Environment does a burn, uh, one of their other planned burns in areas that haven't been logged, um, the, the amount of biomass that's consumed is around 10 hectares, 10 uh, tonnes per hectare. So they're much more smoky. Mm. And they're particularly around, like, we have them very close to the population centres uh, now in Victoria because the logging is getting closer and closer to, to where people are living. So it, the, the logging here, the, the post-logging burns or post-industrial logging burns are um, essentially industry pollution and very much affecting the population of Melbourne. Uh, right now. Mm, mm. Not ideal. Now, I guess the, the sort of science of this sort of burning of, of forest stuff is that the, the forest originally is, is, I guess the biomass you're talking about is uh, is mostly carbon, and that carbon has come directly out of the air through the process of photosynthesis and building the sugars, the carbohydrates within the plant. And, and it's locked in there as as the actual wood. Um, so does, I guess, burning it obviously liberates that carbon out back into the atmosphere. What would happen to the carbon within the plant if it wasn't burnt? It just stays there. It's the most incredible... It's our, our best sequestration um, machine of, of the world, trees. Um, they're just there. They're just given to us. Victoria has the most amazing mountain ash forest. Um, it's it known as, uh, scientifically proven, as the most carbon-dense forest of any forest measured in the world, uh, on a, uh, a land-based forest at least. The mangroves um, forest um, are more carbon-dense. But um, So um, to think that the most carbon-dense forest in the world isn't a massive tourist attraction, just astounds me. Um, it's bogged instead, and only, you know, most of that goes to, in Victoria, most of it goes to make paper. So paper only lasts a few years. So the carbon that's stored in those trees becomes paper, and paper only hangs around with us for a, a few years, and it goes either to landfill or it just degrades. And, um, and, and the carbon then enters the atmosphere. Um, most, as I say, 50% of the biomass in the forest remains on the ground and is burnt, so that's you know, straight away going straight into the atmosphere. And only 5% of the biomass from that forest ends up as long-term wood products. Um, and, and even when I say long-term, that's funny. 90 years or so. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if, it, if, if that carbon remained in the forest, it would be there locked up forever. It would assist in the um, 
continued sequestration of absorption of, of carbon is old forests do absorb, old trees do absorb carbon at a very high rate. Um, so our forests are now standing at about oh, the, the really good mountain ash forests contain around 1,200 uh, tonnes of carbon per hectare. They can they can hold 1,900 tonnes of carbon per hectare. So if they're allowed to grow to their full potential, they can keep on absorbing more and more carbon from the atmosphere without us doing anything. Yeah, right. So I guess even if they're standing but not logged, if they grow back, they're still keeping all that carbon. Well, they're working really hard. Mm. You know, they're working mm. really hard to mitigate climate change, and 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 we all recognise this. Yeah. Um, no. I guess also if, if, if they're left to be, a lot of that carbon actually uh, rots down into the soil. Does soil hold much carbon? Yeah, yeah, of course it does. Yeah, so um, it, it, yeah, the, the, particular, the thing about mountain ash forests and the forests in, in Australia is that they're, they're very high. They hold a lot of carbon because when the trees live a long time, they can live 300, 500, 700 years. And then even when they die, they, they stay standing for another 100 or 200 or 300 years. Even when they drop, they remain on the forest floor for a long time. It, it's not like the Amazon where there's so much rain, uh, things rot very fast. So the Amazon forests have uh, around 250 tonnes of carbon per hectare. Ours are much, much higher. Even our... You know, our our mesmate forest, our, our mixed eucalypt species forest, they contain 850 tonnes of carbon per hectare. So they're, they're, because we're in a drier climate than, than say, the Amazon, uh, the carbon remains in the, in the trees, in the wood, for a long, long time in the forest. Mm-hmm. And you know, as you say, even when it does degrade, it degrades very slowly and just stays, into the, uh, just stays in the um, soil. Unlike when it's burnt, yep, where it just goes straight up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Now, just to change the subject a little bit, something has recently happened in in Victoria that's um, that's pretty disastrous for the forests in regards to logging. The regional forest agreement has just been renewed. Is this correct? Yep, yep, yep. So, um, just just announced that uh, the R regional forest agreements which are agreements between the federal government and the Victorian government or, or in New South Wales, between the federal government and the New South Wales government. Uh, so in Victoria, they were, they've just been renewed for 10 years. And that means that all logging is exempt from federal government environment laws. Sorry, what's, what was that again? So all logging here in Victoria is exempt from federal government environment laws. The forest operations are exempt from the environmental laws. Yes. Right. Wow. So they have to follow um, the forest code of practice, which is uh, written up in Victoria. It's this is a code of practice. It's essentially written to facilitate logging. So it's a bit of a guideline rather than any legally enforceable thing. Then. Well, it's it's legally enforceable, but the uh, it's it's written with so many loopholes to ensure that the loggers that the logging can continue that it's very hard to to prosecute and certainly the environment department here doesn't 
um, doesn't prosecute. Um, so it's left to the community groups to to try to prosecute um, illegal logging, um, try to prosecute using the uh, code of practice of timber harvesting, and um, and we do so. So there are several court cases um, in play right at the moment, and um, and they're only in play because community members have has funded these court cases. Um, we're still waiting on the results of the Friends of Leadbeater's Possum versus Big Forest Court case, mm. um, which will challenge actually the the RFAs. So it, it's suggesting that because if if, if the Friends of if, if the court case shows that the logging has not been done in accord with with the RFAs, then does that make the RFAs exempt? Uh, um, uh, not not applicable. Um, we're still waiting on the Flora and Fauna Research Collective court case, which challenges Challenge Big Forest uh, for logging old growth forest in Gippsland. And right now, um, there's a current court case going on. The wildlife of the Central Highlands have have said that logging is not in accord with the Code of Forest Practice, um, and that in particular around the logging of the threatened species that were affected by the fire. And there's five threatened species that have been particularly affected in the East Gippsland fires um, that also have habitat that are also seen in logging areas, in unburnt logging areas. So the greater glider I mentioned earlier, alpine frog, um, sooty owl, powerful owl, and um, smoky mouse. So those species were so badly affected by the fires that it, the court cases, the, the watch is saying we cannot log any habitat of those species until we know what happened, what, what is the impact of the, the fires in East Gippsland. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's, that court case is just starting now. Yeah, right. Now, I can't remember the guy's name, but the guy from the Community Environment Legal Defence Fund in the United States, he, he had a great saying that environmental regulations are there to regulate the environmentalists. Uh, <laughs> um, so how, how successful have these court cases been? Because I know there's been tons of court cases over the years. Are they managing to just protect tiny little pockets or are they, they doing some sort of more systemic wins? Well, yeah, usually just tiny pockets uh, where community do um, challenge Vic Forest. Um, tiny pockets are protected usually sort of before it gets to the court case and agreements made. These ones, though, are far greater reaching. Um, so as I say, the Friends of Leadbeater's Possum will challenge the the, um, the application of the RFA. So, um, mm. you know, if, if if that happens, if that if, if there's a win there, then there could be some implication in um, in logging being exempt from federal environment laws. Um, yeah. The the forest the flora and fauna research collective is challenging logging of old growth, and that's uh, that's quite significant. Although in Victoria, Dan Andrews has said the premier Dan Andrews has said that. They, that uh, Vic Forest will stop logging old growth, but uh, 
the um, that has not happened. Hmm. Essentially, um, you know, he's, he's, they've narrowed it down to logging of old growth that was modelled in some model, and and that that can be reassessed by big forest loggers themselves. So, and the the watch case is is um, is saying that you know if, if that is successful, that will say that there'll be no logging in any forest sector threatened species habitat. So that that's a lot of areas. Yeah, yeah. Now we've only got a couple of minutes left, unfortunately. Um, so I wanted to cover. I mean, the court cases often go hand in hand with direct action on the ground, and, and there's, there's this plague business with the lockdowns and all your uh, your physical distancing, which they're calling social distancing because I don't know they don't know the English language or something. But um, they, uh, how has that affected blockading on the ground and 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 the media coverage of anything that's not the plague as well. Well, look, the protesting is, is a really great, uh, you, you know, atmosphere to be in at the moment. There's, there's forest groups all over Victoria all working together and um, and, and it's a great, great area to, to, to be into um, at the moment. And uh, and even in interstate, there was, a, there was a protest on the 23rd of March, I believe, that... Uh, was a combined protest of, of protesters, southeast um, forest protection, uh, friends of the forest, Mogo, and community members in Victoria, um, all uh, stopped logging um, in both in sites in Victoria and New South Wales on the one day. And um, but now, I, now public gatherings in Victoria are illegal uh, are, um, against regulations um, people can still gather in twos it, it's affecting direct action absolutely uh, the workers are still allowed to gather for some reason uh, cutting down our forest at a financial loss to Victorians and to New South Wales people um, and in the case of Victoria supplying that wood to a paper industry is considered an essential service so this kind of manufacturers it, it just it it's it's producing smoke so every time we log our forest we then have to burn it um that we should not be in an industry that causes smoke pollution when we've got a respiratory pandemic happening <laughs> Oh, no, oh, I can't see your logic there, jeez. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what about the media coverage of, of protests? Uh, has, has that managed to get through the massive curtain of plague reporting? Uh, local local community, um, local media does take up, the, um, take up nearly all protests that, that occur in Victoria. Um, not so much um the, the the bigger papers mm. um but certainly the community radios and uh, we appreciate talking to you got it then uh, great to talk to you yeah um, what, what about the rfa though something like that big announcements that come through often they're they're sort of shielded by christmas or something like that and they're released on a, a obfuscation schedule it seems yeah has yeah, there been yeah, much reporting of that the announcement of the rfas came a little bit earlier than we expected, and uh, and I guess it's just uh, been hidden in amongst the uh, the COVID nineteen 
reporting. Mm. All mm. right. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add? Now's the time to do it. We're running out of time very quickly. Yeah, just um, don't buy uh, the paper for, that's made from um, our native frost water. Only buy uh, um, FSC accredited paper. And, um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> just keep spreading the word. Keep that's talking right. to your neighbours. You can still go out bush in twos, eh? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Sue McKinnon from Friends of the Forest in Kinglake. Good on you. Thanks, Scotty. No worries.